You're listening to Sprott Money's Monthly Wrap-Up with Craig Hamke. Well, hello again from Sprott Money News at SprottMoney.com. Hey, it is time for a new segment here at Sprott Money. We're going to call this the Monthly Wrap-Up. Uh, if you're a long-time listener, you know that we kind of started this back in about 2015 or 16 with me as your host, Craig Hemke, uh, being joined by Eric Sprott on a weekly basis. And as most of you know, Eric's unable to join us on a weekly basis anymore. And so we kind of kept the weekly wrap-up going for a while. But we thought, you know what, I think it's time to change that. And so we're moving now to a monthly wrap-up format instead. Uh, we want to thank everybody that has joined us over the uh, past several months on a weekly basis. And now we hope that maybe we'll have, again, many of the same great guests, including Eric, who will be able to join us when he can. Uh, but we'll be doing this more as a monthly wrap-up instead of a weekly wrap-up. And then we'll transition then into the a new month where we'll have the monthly precious metals projections with Chris Vermeulen. I know that's gotten to be very popular. And, of course, in between we'll have the Ask the Expert segments as well. Uh, Eric is not joining us here for this initial installment of the monthly wrap-up. Instead, though, we're going to be joined by my old friend and good friend, Andrew McGuire. Many of you are familiar with Andrew. He has a, uh, a long history of being an advocate for precious metals, sound money, uh, based in uh, London, where he has a firm grasp of the wholesale market and all of the uh, factors that influence price. Not just in New York, obviously, but in London as well. So it's always great to hear from Andy. So, Andy, thank you so much for spending some time with us on our first Sprott Monthly Wrap-Up segment. Craig, it's a privilege. Uh, I, I love doing stuff with you, and we freewheel stuff, and it's amazing what pops up sometimes when we talk. And, and, and we, obviously what we talk about today uh, is, is can be officially sanctioned because some of the stuff we talk about is probably best not to put on this podcast. <laughs> I guess that's true. Uh, but in terms of, I guess, looking back at this month, I think there's it's been such a volatile month that I think it'll be very valuable for folks to listen. And again, please keep in mind uh, that Sprott Money is your sponsor of all of this content. Uh, you'll always find great deals on physical gold and silver at SprottMoney.com. Uh, also great deals on storage of precious metal as well. You can go to SprottMoney.com to see all those deals. Of course, you can always pick up the phone and call them at 888-861-0775. Andy, we might as well just dive right in. Um, it's been a volatile, uh, frustrating month in gold and silver. You know, We got smashed after the FOMC uh, back in the middle of June, tried to recover, looked like we were going to recover, and then we've been uh, driven lower again despite... What are some very positive, usually very positive fundamentals? We'll get to that in a second. But I want to talk first about uh, the changes to Basel III. You know, many of us were, and still are, excited, interested to see how this plays out in the months ahead. Um, but there was what seemed at first glance kind of a sucker punch late in the day on a Friday, you know, when it often seems, at least here in the States, if you want news to get covered up, you release it like at 6 o'clock on a Friday. And that's exactly what the powers that be did in uh, England a couple of weeks ago in uh, their statement kind of amending how they want the LBMA and their banks to operate under Basel III. 
since in the time since, I think we've kind of gotten drilled down a little bit into what actually all of that meant. Had I, on my side, I had a great visit with Alistair McLeod, who was able to kind of uh, provide his insights as well. But I, we had several questions for you about Basel III and what you make of all this. So I guess I'll just be quiet and let you pick it up and run with it. <laughs> That's great, Craig. And yeah, Alistair's got a good handle on things as well. And I think, um, I think really what we saw at that news release, and, and without getting into the details, we've got into a lot of detail in the past. It was window dressing. And really, to be honest, um, it's made no difference. What, uh, really, essentially, what's all that happened there was that the uh, clearing banks have, uh, be- have to become an exchange. They can't take any liability on their own books. And it's their clients who must take that risk. So, And we certainly think that these clients, uh, although there's an incestuous relationship between the four LBMA clearing banks, the uh, LPMCL clearing banks, and the LBMA, I think really Basel III puts an end to that uh, because you really can't afford to put that liability, uh, roll those liabilities onto your own books on uh, the 1st of January 22. But I think looking at this month, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's been a crazy, crazy month. And um, I think um, what, what we've Really, what we're getting out of this, there is some changes in behavior. Um, you know, so obviously the rest, the whole globe, except London, is, uh, and the UK operations, um, are compliant. And, and I think it's an appropriate time to really have a look and, and take a look at the EFPs again, look at the similarities between what we're seeing now and what blew the EFPs back up in March 2020. And of course, we all covered that in detail. But look, I think there's a good reason. Uh, although the COMEX is now compliant, the over-the-counter market is only just starting this process mm-hmm. to buy a little market rigging time to exit really deeply underwater, unbacked, unallocated contracts. And the footprints in the wholesale markets tell us that the key market-making banks on the COMEX have sneakily shifted their trading into London where they're, they, they, where the smoke and mirrors unregulated world, whereas and this is also true in Europe, where the compliant LBMA banks such as UBS, and I don't know if everyone knows this, but certainly uh, UBS have cut their physical trading desk to just two people. Really? And, and shifted, of course, shifted their focus onto the still non-compliant over-the-counter market. So that's not untypical. Um, really, the physical markets uh, are now, why do you need more than two people? Because you're not, you really, there's a bid, there's an ask, and it's a physical price. So, you know, basically, <laughs> the, they've really shifted this. In this period, well, they're covering off all this unallocated stuff. And bearing in mind that when, you, when you're covering an unallocated contract, you know, we, we, essentially, it's a foreign exchange contract. It's 10 times larger in the over-the-counter markets than we see in the COMEX. But essentially, what you're doing is when you close an unallocated contract, what you're doing essentially is you're buying back the dollar leg and selling the gold leg but it is releasing this overhead um, overhang. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, um, you know, basically um, at this moment. And this is creating a lot of volatility, you know, you know, seeing liquidity evaporate from the paper mm-hmm. markets. And more and more and more, we're seeing the physical markets actually starting to uh, take control. So um, really, uh, I think... To me, if I had to sum it up, there's two things in play. I think that's 
the closing out of these unallocated contracts sort of it, what we've just described that creates this liquidity um, uh, uh, gap. And I think you, you're seeing some air pockets because of that. But I think this is the important it's point. It's not a free pass to hammer down gold into oblivion. There is a physical side to this market. And these banks are constrained. And I think this is the key thing. They're constrained by the degree they can dare to put freshly, physically, physically back COMEX into backwardation. Because why? The COMEX now has to be physically backed. So it's a delicate balancing act. That's what we're seeing right now. And don't forget, we've got Russia, China, leading a pack of other central banks seeking to secure and repatriate physical gold right. to back their respective currencies. So it's not just a club enemy. You're talking about military enemies here. Who? This is not a club. Right. So interesting times. Uh, you know, I, I referenced this discussion I had with Alistair McLeod, I think it was about a week ago. Uh, maybe a week and a half ago. You can find this. If anybody wants to listen, it's on my tfmetalsreport.com site. It's a free thread. I mean, anybody can listen to the audio. Uh, I just got to scroll down the page to find it. What, what Alistair told us, Andy, and I just want to see if you see it the same way, was that if you look into whatever it was, paragraph two and paragraph three of that, you know, that relevant section that came out uh, from your authorities over there, uh, it, it reads that if you're going to continue in this unallocated business, there's going to be essentially a financial penalty that will make it uh, untenable going forward. And so, therefore, your only option is to take your all of this risk of unallocated metal. If you're going to run that type of really a pooled account, you've got to have physical on hand for every unallocated ounce um, that you're running in that pool. And that, therefore... You know, these banks that run those that run those schemes are going to have to get either get out, uh, pay what is essentially a financial penalty, not to the authorities, but just the cost of doing business goes up uh, or find the physical metal to back it. Um, this, to me, seemed consistent with what you've always told me about the authorities over there kind of going, wait a second, almost like they were caught flat footed, that there was another crisis brewing from the, the, the actions of these banks with this open ended potential loss from all these short contracts and trying to square all that up anyway long question andy but does that is that how you've read this as well those changes that we're still going in that direction of eliminating the unallocated gold and all those risks that the banks are taking uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing right okay. now and it does throw it throws some it throws some false signals into the market but essentially what we're saying in simple terms and you know a lot of people glaze over when we talk about puzzle three and all the various rules and regulations but look what we're saying is lpmcl clearing banks must simply act as a clearing member and and not as in this incestuous relationship they had with their own banks yeah. and these chinese walls um that they had uh, which of course we're not. Um, and they're not market makers. That's the important thing to understand. They're not market makers. It's their clients who are. And as you just rightly said, they cannot afford. It becomes too expensive to start rolling. And furthermore, if you become if you don't back as a client of the of the clearing bank, essentially, if you don't back that position one to one with physical it, that liability rolls onto your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what I think. Uh, that's not what I think is the way forward. Right. Uh, certainly, this is. I think what whatever we're seeing here is extremely bullish for gold. And in the end, 
again, I, you and I, as long as we've known each other, you know, all we've really wanted was something that were price discovered more on exchange of actual physical metal rather than this phony baloney, you know, plastic banana unallocated derivative contract nonsense. Um, you deal, your day job is dealing in the physical market. Um, what can you share with everybody here in the summertime as we look forward into August, which is typically a pretty strong seasonal month? What can you share with everybody about what you're seeing in the physical market? Well, I think what it's telling us is that there is a potential exchange for physical blow up in the brew. And I think what what we're saying is, look, if you put if the over the counter guys, if these guys who are still prevalent inside this, who have snuck into the over the counter market for cover, um, essentially, while they uh, unravel this this huge amount, billions of dollars worth of uh, unallocated positions i think when essentially what they're doing is is they're just buying a little time here mm-hmm. and i think um if they push and this is what we just said if they push the over-the-counter market the spot price where china china russia any other central bank uh, can also buy in this marketplace it's, it's a foreign exchange transaction you lock that price in and you put the comex into backwardation it will be it, that will be the place where you come and take that physical and i think what we're seeing here is if they push this too far and i don't think they dare recreate what happened in march 2020 is you know if you remember mm-hmm. there was suddenly uh, we we saw a contango dislocation between spot gold and futures and and so really they're dangerously pushing that today now i don't think it's going to settle below 1800 because it's simply there is too many we know in the physical market there is a lot of first tier banks who consider 1800 gold very cheap um but essentially what we saw before was when these liquidity providers were in the unallocated market were, were actually forced uh, to, were, were requested for delivery, the last thing they wanted was to actually be demanded for physical delivery. They just right. want to play this game. Right. Good God! And and suddenly uh, everyone bailed. The bid ask spread widened to twenty bucks. Um, the, the on the on the Tuesday the EFPs blow up. It went to a hundred bucks, and really. This lack of market depth forced them to sell their over-the-counter longs at market, whatever, enormous no bid, in order to cover directly related, deeply offside, rising short squeeze futures contracts. We must never forget this lesson. Yeah. And this is – we're smelling this right now. If they push this too far, and I believe they would not dare do this, that – and I think this is why what I'm saying is that a little encouragement here – I don't think they would – that lesson has been learned. That would completely wreck this whole system. It was anti-Basel uh, III as well. Uh, and I think um, – so I think that's what's going on right now, this this delicate balancing act between the spot market where they're hiding and the physical market, which is the COMEX. And did I ever – Craig, did we ever think we'd be talking about the COMEX as compliant on the physical side? Right. Right. They opened that Pandora's box, as you said, about a year and a half ago because they didn't have any choice. I mean, they had to start delivering physical off of there. Otherwise, um, it would have been, you know, I don't know what we call it default, but they were definitely in a jam and they don't want to get there again. And, and Andy, I, I look at this and I see, I guess I'm going to transition to the final question that people had for you. And that was this lack of response so far this year in price 
to what are some extraordinarily strong fundamentals. I mean, we are, you know, price was $2,100 a year ago at this time with uh, the real interest rates. If you wanted to, you know, quote it just by uh, the 10-year treasury note nominal yield with CPI, they're negative 4% versus negative 1% a year ago at this time. Or if you want to look at the forwards, as a lot of people do, the inflation expectation forwards at 5 or 10 years, they're at least back to, if not lower than they were a year ago at this time. But yet gold is $300 lower. Um, and so the, the fundamental question that several people wrote in wanted to ask you is, when will gold start paying attention to those fundamentals again? I mean, I kind of see it as, I guess, two things. One, the banks... Uh, greedily, selfishly manipulating price to their own ends ahead of Basel III and things like option expiration as we're dealing with here in this month. But also, you know, a rising gold price is not consistent with the Fed's transitory narrative that they're so desperate to enforce, right? To keep the bond, I mean, their big golden goose is the bond market. And transitory is all about keeping buyers in the bond market. And if gold was $3,000 instead of $1,800, be a little harder to shove that narrative down everybody's throat. So I see all these factors, you know, as, as to why we've had this temporary dislocation uh, from fundamentals like real interest rates. But, of course, nobody really wants to know what I think. They want to know what you think, Andy. So <laughs> take it from there. <laughs> well, I think one of the, you know, obviously, if we have to distill, there's so much, so many inputs here. But if we have to distill one thing down, which is the major change of behavior evident since June 28th. So really, we're talking our month here, aren't we? Um, well, gold has actually been acting as a safe haven alongside the dollar. And, and, and essentially, yes, OK, you go back and you look at a dollar, a dollar index chart and you're going to see a rise in this last month. But also, despite little pullbacks and despite the pullback, gold has also risen alongside the dollar. Now, this is an interesting dynamic shift. And what it is, is the usual algo, which is uh, buy DXLGC. You know, we, we, we've seen that right. multiple times. You know, you just it's just a mindless algo. It's it's been offset by the requirement to manage COMEX gold backwardations from being arbitraged. And I think that to me is the one takeaway. And, and so sometimes we see the dollar uh, fall down to come down on the day and gold go down with it. And it's like ludicrous, crazy that <laughs> that that gold that, that the dollar is considered a safe haven. But clearly gold has always been a safe haven and they kind of in lockstep at this time, which is a very strange situation. So do you expect at some point, I mean, as it relates to real interest rates again, which is like a 95% correlation over the decades, Andy, um, do you expect that, that things got to solve itself out one way or the other, either real interest rates come back up to meet gold or gold rises to meet sharply negative real interest rates uh, or are we just in a brave new world where you know what mattered for decades doesn't matter anymore well i think i think there is obviously that element because that we also know that algo exists between um between the which is why it's a bit confusing at this point because really gold should be right through the roof based upon what basically what up to i mean a year one year lows yeah. uh, i mean february lows at least but certainly almost a year lows obviously gold should be uh, but i think again one of the things that is confusing the issue is this race for the next five months and it's got to be completed in five months to get this these these huge 
billions of dollars worth of unallocated uh, liabilities uh, which will roll onto the books of these banks if they're not squared. And I think that's what's causing the confusion here. Yeah. But I think we're going to see gold significantly higher. And I think what's going to happen here is that long before uh, they, they have to comply, I think within a month or two, uh, perhaps even by uh, October, um, and I would think that we see gold starting to unleash the coil that is actually building. And we certainly know this massive demand coming through from Russia, China, um, uh, other and, and repatriations of gold coming, which started in, in actually August the, the, the 1st, sorry, April the 1st, 2013, when Germany decided that they, mm-hmm. uh, when the US decided they weren't going to pay uh, Germany's gold back in uh, immediately for 300 tons, or they were going to take them seven years, suddenly all these questions came up. And God, it's no coincidence that in 2013, every single central bank started to repatriate their gold alongside, ahead of these NSFR uh, conditions. They already were working on it. So within t- it's taken almost 10 years. But these, all these central banks saw the writing on the wall, saw they needed the physical. When the Fed didn't even allow the German Bundesbank to come in and inspect their gold, and then they asked for it back, and it was going to take seven years. My God, man, what, what, what more did you, right. incentive was there? If I was a holder, if I had storage, if I stored my physical at a vault, and I said, I just want to come and get it, uh, send it to me tomorrow. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, we're going to take, you, take a few years for you to get it back. <laughs> what would I do? I mean, <laughs> I'd be suing them, right? I mean, right. crazy. <laughs> and, of course, Andy Price was smashed after holding 1525 as a floor down from the highs in 2011 for about a year and a half price gets smashed in april of 2013 as well surely those two events aren't related either exactly so i mean like literally and then that was abn amro exactly at that same time so we, we had cracks in the lbna yeah. system right then yeah abn alma issued that letter um which which was published and basically i think that was the third of april then the president's working group met if yep. you remember and yep. what happened 500 buck smack smash why they had to go and buy this market, this gold back at market. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so yep. that's, I mean, people, we, it's so easy to forget the history. This is history that it, that we've witnessed in the making. And uh, this is huge. And I think uh, by the time we get to the end of this year, I really would be surprised if gold wasn't at Goldman's target at the beginning of the year, which is 2,500. Yeah. No, I, and I, I'm with you. I'm, and I'm glad to hear you kind of see it the way I do. I, I've been thinking that now that we have some clarification, kind of final clarification, and the banks know what they're up against coming uh, July 1 or January 1, uh, 2022, then they're going to try to clear out, square up as many of these positions as possible. But they're not going to wait till December to do it. I mean, they're in the process of doing that now, which explains uh, the malaise that we've dealt with, the counterintuitive, uh, counterfundamental stuff that we've seen all year long. But man, that just distorts price. And once that's done, like you said, not on December 31st, but you know, sometime before then, that's when we might see gold rush to catch up. Did I summarize that pretty well? Yeah, and there'll come a day, uh, and that that involves that where a physical, where I want to buy a physical um, amount of physical, and somebody will have an amount of physical to sell, and we're somewhere between the two of us. 
will be a real physical price. Right. None of this paper shit that right. goes on. Right. Yeah. Andy, thank you so much. It's been always great to hear from you. It's been a treat. I know uh, uh, Eric thinks the world of you and your analysis as well. Uh, we love what you do uh, with everybody at Kinesis as well. Be sure to check out Kinesis. That's uh, a great project Andy's been working on now for a number of years. And, uh, and we just appreciate all you do for the Precious Metals community. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Craig, and send my best to Eric. I certainly will. And for everybody on your way out, again, this content is sponsored by Sprott Money. Uh, we'd like to get it out there as far-reaching and as widely uh, heard as we can. The best thing you can do for us is to give us a like, maybe a subscribe, uh, a tweet, something uh, from the channel uh, that you're listening to this stuff on, and that'll help us uh, get the word out. And again, remember SprottMoney.com for all your gold and silver physical buying and storage needs. Again, our guest has been Andrew McGuire here for your July monthly wrap-up. And uh, we look forward to uh, having a monthly wrap-up at the end of August as well. Till then, thank you for listening. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, have a great rest of your day.